0: I invite you to turn to Psalm 131 this evening. That's where we'll be for the preaching passage. That's Psalm 131, and I will read it aloud. Hear these words, Psalm 131. A song of a sense of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. A calm and quiet soul. Charles Spurgeon, the English preacher, once said that this psalm is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest psalms to learn. I like that. I think it's true. A calm and quiet soul. That is the prize of our text tonight in Psalm 131. Do you know how to find a calm and quiet soul? I imagine the answer might be yes for many of you here, but you're still walking in with a turbulent, agitated, and restless soul. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're so accustomed to the restlessness of your soul you didn't even know there was something else that was offered in this life. Whoever you are coming in these doors, get this, the one true and living God who made your soul gave you these words that you might know and learn how to have a calm and quiet soul before him. It's just three short verses, our text tonight. But we'll see an impact that lasts forever. The psalmist gives us two things to consider consider tonight that I want to draw your attention to. The first is his example. He gives us his example. And he follows that with his counsel. Those are the two things. His example and his counsel. And what he's getting at for us tonight through his example and his counsel in Psalm 131 is this. A humble hope in the Lord leads to a calm and quiet soul. He's saying, watch me. Look at this. And then he's saying, go do it. He's exhorting. A humble hope in the Lord leads to a calm and quiet soul. And he begins by giving us an example. So take a look at verse 1. There it is, the psalmist, likely King David. So you see the inscription at the top. He's giving us the do's and the don'ts of his example. And he starts with the don'ts. This is what you need to know not to do. Look at verse 1. It reads, "O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. His example is one that avoids self-exaltation. He comes before the Lord and he describes in three ways how he is combating pride. Did you see that? The repetition there in in verse one, the repetition threefold of not. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself. This is what he does not do. His heart is not lifted up. What's that mean? Well, it literally means having a proud heart. And I was trying to think, what, what does that look like? And thankfully, in Scripture, we have examples to learn from of a proud heart. And I would take you, you don't have to turn there, but take you to 2 Chronicles 26. Second Chronicles 26, we read about King Uzziah, who we're told, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Great words. But then in 2 Chronicles 26, 15, it says, King Uzziah's fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Listen to this. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Or his, his heart was lifted up to his destruction what's it show what's it show us tonight it shows us that even a prideful heart can come about by someone who's being helped by the lord allowing the help of the lord to boost the ego of man before god has god's help ever made you proud of yourself has his help ever boosted your ego Have you looked in the mirror admiring your own strength while forgetting it was God who strengthened you? And I say these words having asked myself these questions this week. It can happen to the best of us. It happened to King Uzziah. This is certainly a word for our pastors, for our directors in the room, our ministry leaders, those who are publicly leading When we see ministry success. Is that making us prideful? I shared this this morning with some of our high school students in a different setting, but similar thought that I said this. I think Wheaton, Illinois, and this is provocative. I think Wheaton, Illinois, can be one of the most difficult places in the country to be a Christian. Why? Because of the subtle yet dangerous temptation to be prideful in ourselves, to be exalted in our own eyes. It might be our wealth. It might be career success. It might be a strong family heritage. It might be our church size. It might be our ministry numbers. It might be the number of people that come to an evening service on a Sunday night at 5 p.m. But friends, if we allow the help of God to make us proud, we will know the Lord's destruction. Just like King Uzziah did. You can read about it later. He was struck by the Lord. He was a leper until the day of his death. This is a man who was helped by the Lord, an instrument used by the Lord, who started out on the right path, who was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But he let the help of God Cause him to lift up a prideful heart to God. How about you? Is there pride in your heart tonight before God? It will not yield a calm and quiet soul. The psalmist has checked himself. He knows himself. And he's able to say, my heart is not lifted up. But he doesn't stop there. What's next? Take a look. He says, My eyes are not raised too high. This could be described as haughty or arrogant eyes. Now what does God think about haughty or arrogant eyes? Proverbs six seventeen tells us that the Lord hates haughty eyes. He hates it. The self-exaltation over others. The raised eyebrows or the smirk when someone looks down upon somebody else. And I was thinking, this is a psalm of David, King David, most likely, and he he would know what it's like to be at the top. He would know what it's like to be in authority. He would know what it's like to be revered in his community. And his example is instructive. He does not lift up his heart to pride, and he does not raise his eyes too high. What about us? How high are your eyes raised tonight? When you look at those around you, passing people on the corner in downtown Wheaton, how high are your eyes raised We can be trapped into thinking that our building up some superiority gives us a sense of security or worth. No, this psalm reminds us that it will not yield a calm and quiet soul. The psalmist avoids it. And he moves on. What's he say lastly in verse 1? He says, And I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. This language of things too great, too marvelous is it's used in the Old Testament, but it's used often to describe God's actions. It's used to describe things that are reserved for God. From the beginning, in the garden, mankind has had a problem trying to be like God, right? Trying to get on his level, exalt ourselves, and so the psalmist is saying here, I, I, I do not do that. It sounds almost like Job 42, verse 3, where it says, Job is responding to the Lord, and he says, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You could put it this way, there are things that are above our pay grade as those who are the creature and not the creator. <laughs> And in our sin, the pattern in scripture that we can learn from is we, there's a craving to be like God. We want to know it all, but he doesn't owe us that. He's God, we are not. I love Deuteronomy 29, 29, not just because it's a good verse to give a high school student when you don't have an answer, but It's been an encouragement to me as well. And it reminds us that there are things that God has revealed to us. He has shown to us that we are to pass down. But the secret things belong to the Lord, it says. You don't need to know it all. In fact, you won't understand it all. You aren't made to understand it all. And your wonder can and should lead you into praise into worship. Your wonder leading to worship who God is. Praise the one who does know all things, the one who holds all things in his hands. And what about us tonight? Might your turbulent soul be tied to your tendency to exalt yourself above your pay grade? The psalmist avoids it. Why does he avoid it? Because it will not yield a calm and quiet soul. His heart is not lifted up. His eyes are not raised too high. He does not occupy himself with things too great or too marvelous for him. Can you say these words in good conscience? Baxter. (laughs) How does he say these things? How can he do that? I was thinking all week, how long did it take for him to get to a point where he could begin to write verse 1, to search himself and humble himself? J.I. Packer once wrote, Christian minds have been conformed to the modern spirit, the spirit that is that spawns great thoughts of man. And leaves room for only small thoughts of God. Self-exaltation. Inwardly focused. Prideful on ourselves. Hoping in ourselves. May we heed the don'ts of the psalmist's example tonight. For these things will not yield a calm and quiet soul. But he's not done with his example. It continues in verse 2. And I want you to see the shift there in verse 2. He goes from what I don't do in verse 1 to what I have done in verse 2. And he, he goes from the negatively put way of describing it to the positive way. And he says this But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Don't you don't you love the image here? The psalmist is saying, "Let me show you, let me show you what my soul looks like. Let me give you the simile of my soul." You see, the pride that we can have and be tempted to leads to a turbulent soul, but the humility that the psalmist displays in his example leads to a calm And a quiet soul. My soul is like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. A calm and quiet soul. The mothers in this room know what the psalmist is talking about, they don't need an exegetical commentary to understand this. And I did some pastoral research this week, and I spoke to some of the experts. I spoke to some mothers this week, and I said, talk to me, tell me a little bit about an unweaned child versus a weaned child. And they shared that an unweaned child seems to instinctively want milk when in the presence of the mother. They are a bit volatile, they are in need, and the relationship with the mother seems to be based on what they can receive. But a weaned child, a wean child is different. A wean child has learned patience and discipline, and has a certain contentedness that comes from just being in the presence of mom. The relationships is so much more than just a transaction, and even when the cravings arise, the presence of the mother is sufficient to calm and quiet. The child. And I was thinking, if you had to write a simile of your soul tonight, what would it be? I brainstormed a couple for us. My soul is like a NASCAR driver stuck in traffic, (laughs) like an unattended pot left on high heat. Like the favorite punching bag at the boxer's gym. Of all the ways to describe his soul, the psalmist chooses this one like a weaned child with its mother. These are the words of a weathered saint, I think, someone who has learned what it's like to be anchored in the midst of the storm, to be calm in the midst of the chaos, to be quiet in the midst of the clamoring all around them. This is a humble hope of somebody who is assured in the Lord. And what has struck me this week is the personal responsibility the psalmist is taking for his soul. And this is pretty amazing when you look at it. I want you to see this. He's not saying, or he's saying this. He's saying, I I didn't do this. I avoided this in verse 1. I did this in verse 2. He doesn't say, God has calmed and quieted my soul. Just an observation. He would be justified in saying that, I'm sure, but he chooses not to say that. Instead, he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. It, o- it almost sounds heretical off base <laughs> How can he say that? But I think he's he's emphasizing he's not taking away from God's sovereignty for all things, but he's emphasizing here the personal responsibility he has taken for his soul. Do you take personal responsibility for your soul? We take personal responsibility for a lot of things in life. We take daily vitamins. We change our air filters. <laughs> We mow our grass. We update our fantasy football roster every week. We take personal responsibility. We go to our annual physical. We take personal responsibility for a lot of things. But what about your soul? There is nothing more important. When was your last soul diagnosis? What was the content of... Your last soul simile. Will you prioritize your responsibility to watch over your soul? That has challenged me this week. This psalm. Simple psalm. Well, how, how? How can I prioritize my soul? What does it look like to take personal responsibility? I'm glad you asked. There's some practical Ways and one way I thought of was prayer. Prayer by nature, it humbles us, doesn't it? It's the Lord's instruction. And and even in the Lord's prayer, we're given petitions that begin with God getting the glory. That's how we're instructed to pray. That his name would be exalted, not ours. That his kingdom would come, not ours. That his will would be done, not ours. And prayer reminds us That when God gets the glory, it's for our own good. Prayer reminds us of our daily dependence on Him, daily bread, daily pardon. Just like a child depends on a parent, prayer protects us from the pride of verse 1. And regular prayer is an active way to take responsibility for the health of our souls. And so what an example we have, the psalmist in verses 1 and 2. And he he finishes the simile of his soul, and he turns from this prayer to God, and he turns and he addresses somebody different in verse 3. And so he he moves, we said his example, that's how it starts, but he moves to his counsel. And what is his counsel? His counsel is for the people of God. He shifts. It's not, O Lord, anymore in verse 1. It's, O Israel, in verse 3. And it's very straightforward. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. O college church, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He's saying, I, I showed you that I'm not hoping in myself. I'm hoping in the Lord. Follow my lead. Do as I do. A humble hope in the Lord leads to this calm and quiet soul. Do you know, do you know the Lord tonight? The Lord, it's written there in all caps. You can see in verse 3. That means it's translated as the Lord's name, Yahweh. Yahweh. The covenant-keeping, relational name of God. That means that the God of the universe who we've been talking about, singing to, praying to, has chosen to reveal himself, to make himself knowable. Do you know the Lord? Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord. You don't know him and you feel like one of those children that, that's wandering the aisles of the grocery store that seems separated from the one that they were meant to be with. And deep down, you know you're meant to be with him, the one that made you. Where are they? What am I doing here? One man described it this way a long time ago. He says, speaking to God, he said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Is that you? Is your heart restless tonight? Are you wandering, looking? You only came in here because you had a turbulent soul, a restless soul. That's the only thing that would get you to church. Okay, where is he? I want you to hear the voice of Jesus, the Son of God, who humbled himself and came as a man and pursues his children and says these words, Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. My dear friend, Jesus came, lived, died, rose from the grave so that you might know that he is the perpetual place of hope for the sinner. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, it says in verse 3. How, how do we respond to that counsel of the psalmist? We put our hope in Jesus. We take him at his word when he says, you will find rest for your souls. Take him at his word. Come in your emptiness, in your need, in your humility, to trust the work of Christ on your behalf this night and to be reconciled to God. He is the anchor for turbulent souls. Hear me, you who have a restless soul, he is the anchor for a turbulent soul. He is the peacemaker between God and man. He is the giver of eternal rest. And he calls out to his children, come to me. Maybe you've already come and you've put your trust in Jesus. And I know there's many of you here. Praise God. I'm thankful for this family. But you're also still learning from Jesus, learning from him, from this example in Psalm 131. Your soul is not quite as calm and quiet as you would like it to be. I hear you. Try having to preach a text like this and wrestling with the restlessness of your own soul during the week. Somewhere between an undweaned child and a weaned child. Would you look back and remind yourself that all you need is all you have in Christ. All you need is all you have in Christ. His presence with you, with us, is enough. Would you look to him? I saw this text in action about two weeks ago, and I'm going to close with this. We were out to dinner, Kelsey and I, with some good friends. They have a young child, a young boy, less than a year old. And the child was being fed these little pieces of food by his mother. And his head was down and he was consumed in eating his food. He was consumed with what was in front of him, as he should be. Some Very good Mexican food that he was trying probably for the first time. But then suddenly there was this, this shout. And it was a mixture of fear and Frustration. The child looked, and he didn't see any food in front of him anymore. And he was, he was searching. He was frantic, frantic, moving his hands, looking underneath his spoon. Where is the food? <laughs> he came up empty. And he began to shout more and more and lift his voice a little bit louder and a little bit louder until the mother said, hey, look at me. And the child as if the child had forgotten that she was there, looked up and was calm and quiet. And she said, I'm right here. I'm right here. Friends, will you look at him tonight? Will you hope in him tonight? Will you remember his presence with you, with us, right here? In our midst, a humble hope in the Lord leads to a calm and quiet soul. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we long to follow this example in Psalm 131. We thank you, Lord, that your word tells us that we have this mind in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. We thank you for your presence among us, O Lord, humbling us and driving us to you, that we might find rest. And I pray for those tonight, Lord, who came in these doors with a turbulent, agitated soul. God, I pray that they would know the rest that you offer that they would respond and take personal responsibility and respond to the words of Jesus, come to me and I will give you rest. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have from this time forth and forevermore in him. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.